You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hi, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, wishing you a happy and healthy new year and welcome you to the January 2020 edition of Editor's Picks. First paper I would like to highlight for you is entitled Placebo Response in Rheumatoid Arthritis Clinical Trials. The placebo effect is a well-known phenomenon which is important to take into account when examining the outcome of trials. In this paper, Beckman and colleagues examined the change in the placebo response over time in randomized placebo-controlled trials that were used for drug licensing for the treatment of RA. The authors searched the Cochrane Controlled Trials Register Database and were able to identify 32 RCTs for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis between 1990 and 2018. As may be expected, trials of biologics were by far the most commonly reported trials, with a total of 15 trials for NTTNF therapy, four trials for tozolizumab, two trials each for abatacept and rituximab, and there were six trials that examined the effect of JAK inhibitors. The authors found that there was no significant change in the trend for the age or gender of patients in the placebo arm of the trial, but they did find that the disease duration, the swollen joint count, and the DAS28 ESR at baseline significantly reduced over time. Please read this article to find out how the placebo response as measured by ACRs 20, 50, and 70 changed over time. The authors hypothesize why this has occurred and what the implications may be for future clinical trials. Second article I'd like to inform you about is entitled Identification of Axial Spondyloarthritis Patients in a Large Dataset, the Development and Validation of Novel Methods. There's an increasing use of large data sets that are obtained by the use of billing codes to identify patients with a particular disease in a large administrative data. The ability to accurately identify patients relies on the accuracy of the billing codes that are able to identify one disease from another. Currently, there are no billing codes in some countries, including the U.S., to identify patients with axial spondyloarthritis. The aim of this study by Walsh and colleagues was to develop an improved algorithm that could accurately identify patients with axial, axial SPA in a large data set. In order to do this, they selected 600 patients who were followed in the U.S. Veterans Administration, and they took a six-month period of chart review. Of these 600 patients, 162, or 27%, were classified as having axial SPA, while the remainder were classified as not having it. They used 451 of the initial 600 patients to develop different algorithms for the diagnosis and also as a training set. 
the developed algorithms were then tested in the remaining 149 patients as a validation cohort. They then compared how the novel algorithms they had developed compared to the traditional methods used to identify patients with axial SPA. Read this article to understand the advantages and disadvantages of these novel algorithms, how they were developed, and how may they be used in future studies. This paper highlights potential difficulties when you are interrogating a large administrative data set. Third paper I'd like you to make you aware of is entitled Atherosclerotic Vascular Events in Systemic Lupus Erythematosus, an Evolving Story. As early as 1976, it was recognized that atherosclerotic vascular events were a major cause of mortality and morbidity in SLA. The aim of this study by Eurowitz and colleagues was to determine if the burden of atherosclerotic vascular events in patients with SLE has changed over time, and if early recognition and therapy for classic risk factors for atherosclerotic vascular events and SLE therapy itself were associated with a change in the burden of atherosclerotic vascular events. In order to do this, the authors compared two inception cohorts followed in the same SLE clinic in two different areas. All patients were followed for a total of 17 years or time to an event. The first cohort consisted of 234 patients who were first seen between 1975 and 1987, while the second cohort were 264 patients first seen between 1999 and 2011. In cohort one, 26 patients or 11% had an atherosclerotic event as compared with 10 or 3.8% in the second cohort. This was a 60% risk reduction uh, for atherosclerotic events in cohort two as compared to cohort one. Please read the articles to find out what the authors found were associated with a decrease over time in these events and how this may help you to better treat your patient to prevent atherosclerotic vascular disease. The fourth paper to highlight is entitled Increased Risk of Ischemic Stroke in Systemic Sclerosis, a National Cohort Study of U.S. Veterans. Although systemic sclerosis is known to target the microvasculature, cardiovascular and cerebrovascular disease are responsible for between 20 to 30 percent of the mortality seen in systemic sclerosis. In this retrospective, cohort study, a patient seen and followed at U.S. Veterans Affairs Administration Hospitals, Ying and colleagues examined 4,545 individuals with systemic sclerosis for the development of ischemic stroke in order to determine if systemic sclerosis itself was an individual risk factor for the development of stroke. In this 83% male population, the incidence of ischemic stroke was 15.3 per 1,000 person years versus 12.2 per 1,000 person years in control group, 
which resulted in an adjusted hazard ratio of 1.21. Please read this paper to understand the limitations of the data presented and how this data in a male predominant population may or may not more generally apply in this female predominant disease. The fifth article to discuss today is entitled Perceptions of Pregnancy and Lactation from the Pregnancy and Lactation Autoimmune Network Registry. As many people with autoimmune diseases or women of childbearing potential, perceptions of potential issues regarding pregnancy and breastfeeding are important. In this paper, Mills and colleagues examine these perceptions in a retrospective cohort study of 154 women with an autoimmune or inflammatory rheumatic disease seen at a single center in the U.S. Please read this paper to find out how the diagnosis of an autoimmune or inflammatory rheumatic disease affected their views on pregnancy itself, including the decision to have children, how medication use could affect the developing fetus and infant, and on the decision to breastfeed or not, as well as on the duration of breastfeeding. After reading this article, you will have better insight into the issues your patients are faced with regarding the decision to become pregnant, whether to breastfeed or not, and how medication use may alter these decisions. Knowing these concerns will help you better educate your female patient during childbearing years on these issues. As usual, I want to thank you all for listening to the review of what I felt were particularly important articles appearing in the January 2020 issue of the Journal of Rheumatology. I hope my summaries will lead you to reading not only these five articles, but all articles appearing in this edition of the journal. Please read either the print or online edition, which can be found at www.jroom.org. If you have any comments on the summary or any articles appearing in the journal, please address them to manuscripts at jroom.com. I hope you will listen next month for the editor's picks for the February 2020 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology.